0: Hey, this is Dave Ryder from New Spring Church here in beautiful Perth, Western Australia. Really praying that this message is going to help you. If you'd like some more information about our story, just head to newspring.org.au. you love your church? I love our church. And like as we were going through that um, and working through that last year was such a great Um, exercise to actually dig deep and go really deep and and actually almost rediscover this is who we are as this particular local church and we understand we recognize that we are part of the broader church but as far as new spring who we are and what we embody this is who we are and this year we are wanting every single person in the new spring family to actually know that understand that and also to embody that so i'm going to begin that today are you going to be with me All right, it's a little bit strange if you're online, like people wearing masks and all that, but it's just another challenge. You guys have to make sure I work hard today, amen? (laughs) Well, today is one of those moments in the life of our church. Over the last nine or so years, um, there have been significant moments in the life of New Spring Church. This is one of those moments which I really felt that God wanted to actually recenter us. He wanted to regather us, especially in the light of what happened in 2020, um, to actually bring us together, to realign us, and to remind ourselves once again of what it means to be this particular local church, what it means to embody that word church, and especially in light of what we've learned last year as we journey through that fantastic, incredible letter that we call the letter to the Ephesians. And I'm going to actually use a little bit of that stuff because what I've been sensing is that over the last couple of years, at least the last two to three years, God has been building brick upon brick, course upon course, and this is yet another course which is actually going to launch us into the future. I don't know if you realize, but next year I've been here 10 years. You know that? Yeah. 10 years. So I've got in my mind, this is what I've got in my mind, I'm going to go on long service leave next year. So I'm going to be away for about three months or so, and I'm expecting that New Spring Church, you are going to flourish. You you are going to make me question, why in the world am I even here? It's like New Spring Church do better without me than with me. You guys are going to completely excel and actually just go nuts while I'm away. But we're still in 2021. We'll wait for 2022. As we learned last year, Paul makes this huge exhortation, one exhortation. Imagine writing an entire letter. Imagine writing so much content, so much theology, in order to just say one simple thing, one significant thing. But he makes one huge exhortation to this circular letter, which is sent to all of the churches, and is found in Ephesians 4 verse 1, where he says this, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, I beg, you everyone say beg, I beg you, it's not like a little, you know what, Like this would be a good idea if you like think about it. No, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you've been called by God. Have you ever had someone actually look at you, point at you and actually call you up to something? Well, that's what Paul is actually doing right now. He so said, I'm begging you to live a life worthy of the calling because you've been called by God. And the question is, what exactly is that calling? And it might surprise us to learn that the calling is to literally be the church, you know? And when you hear that, you're thinking, oh, the church, the church is so boring. Really? Because the New Testament vision of what the church is and can be is absolutely exhilarating. And if we can embody that as a church, my goodness, we are going to have so much fun, so much fun. But he's talking about the call to be the church, this contrasting society, a polis within a polis, a city within a city. In other words, there's this place where this group of unusual people, do you know you're unusual, peculiar people. Odd people all gathered together to embody something which is so contrasting in this world. And we are to play this vital role in this world. Ephesians 3 verse 10 says, God's purpose in all of this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was his eternal plan which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. you know what, that's a couple of sentences, but we don't really get the picture or the visual of what Paul's actually trying to articulate. Imagine you're watching like a Batman movie, right? Even like those dark, grey, Batman, like, I'm Batman, Batman movie. You know, Batman's not a superhero, just so you know. He's just really rich, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? You can do a lot of stuff when you're rich, doesn't mean you're special, no, Anyway. (laughs) Anyway. Made some enemies already. Oh, you ba- Jackson used to love Batman. Anyway, but imagine you you're sort of watching this uh, this apocalyptic kind of movie. Where it's dark and it's grey. And, and as the camera is kind of panning around, you see you, you see all these people and and they're not happy. They're just like they they, they don't even look human. They're grey in colour. There's no colour in them. And you look a little bit closer, and they've got chains and they're, they're kind of being tormented. And they they look lifeless. There's no joy. There's there's nothing in them. And everywhere you look, you just see the is grey, grey. Humanity is grey, grey. And, and then you sort of see out in the distance, you see these pops of color. There's a, of color there. There's a bit of color over 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 there. And you're thinking to yourself, what in the world is that color? What is that? I mean, that is so different to that. And you're looking there, you're looking there, you're looking there, and you're asking yourself, what is all of that color? And all of a sudden, the camera comes and zooms into one of those pockets of color. And as it zooms in, you see these people. And these people, they're dancing. These people, they're smiling. These people, they're serving. These people, they're loving. And you think to yourself, what in the world is that group of people because they look so different to the rest of the world? That group of people is the church. That is the picture that Paul is trying to articulate when it comes to you and I as the body of Christ, as a church of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, in that particular contrast, the church is not boring. That is our call to live like that in this world. That's what he's saying right over there. That's really good. Listen to this quote. Fred Laban says this, God purposes to set new creation in the midst of old, redeem people in the midst of the fallen, love in the midst of hostility, self-abasement in the midst of self-assertion, submission in the midst of domination, to humanize and redeem fallen structures. Could you imagine being a church, knowing our role, knowing our part that God has placed us as new creation, new humanity, this contrasting society in the midst of a fallen world so that the fallenness around us would be redeemed. That's what his plan is. That's what he's endeavored to do. We are supposed to be this contrasting society in this world and we demonstrate this is what it looks like to flourish. And I understand like we're looking at Christians, we're looking at churches, and we're pointing out and saying, you know what, if that's what it means to flourish, I don't want to flourish. But this is what I'm saying. This is the picture of what we can be and what we can do. That's the picture of the New Testament church. And more than this, from the book of Genesis, God's revealed his MO, his modus of operation. From the very beginning, the very first pages of the Bible in which we see God revealed, He establishes His covenantal reign through His covenantal people. Did you know that God's will is not always done? It is completely dependent on His people outworking His will. So if you and I are not participating and partnering with God, His will doesn't get done. And that's from the very beginning. He said, the way I'm going to do this is that my sons and daughters, daughters, they are going to partner with me and they are going to administrate my kingdom, my covenantal reign and rule in this world. So the church, the family of God, we demonstrate this new creation, this new humanity by reaching out and serving the world and extending and administrating thy kingdom come, thy will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. And that is what it means to live a life worthy of your call because you've been called by god sounds pretty cool right preach is pretty good too right i mean i've even got a bit of response out of you and you're wearing masks you know i'm sure people at home they're jumping up at you're so excited days preaching days back from holidays i know by faith (laughs) but let's be honest this is what i honestly think i honestly think that the church in the west We've lost what this looks like. And I, for one, personally, and I can't speak on your behalf, but personally as your pastor, I want to try and recover that. I want to see if we can recover that. And this isn't easy, okay? This is not, this is not easy because as a church living in this present cultural moment, we are fighting against some pretty big ideological strongholds of this present evil age. It's like we are fish swimming in water and we don't even notice that there's water because we have been born into this culture. This is all that we know. And if we don't know this is all that we know, we have very little chance of changing that. But there's some ideologies like self-autonomy. Have you ever like, like, tried to help someone and they're like, don't tell me what to do, I can do whatever I want. I'm, Seriously, you think you can do whatever you want? You keep doing whatever you want and see that, how that track takes you in life right is that going to lead to human flourishing or is that going to lead you somewhere else now we don't even know, need to go to scripture we have enough anecdotal evidence to know that's not a great way to live could you imagine if i was married well i am married if i was married i am married <laughs> a little bit rusty okay <laughs> but you can you imagine now marriage i just have in my mind i can do whatever i want right could you imagine as your pastor Dave, I, I forgets you i can do whatever i want no 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 but that's an ideology of this present evil age, self-autonomy, right? Ultimate freedom. That's another one, isn't it? Our freedom is so important to us. Could you imagine if everyone on the roads right now just got in their car and they said, you know what, I've got ultimate freedom. I could do whatever I want on the road right now. No, 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 no. The paradox of freedom is that we cannot do everything that we want. That's the paradox of freedom. Because the freedom would actually be if I get in my car and get home safely, Right? but ultimate freedom is an ideology that's crept into the which is part of this 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 age and has crept into parts of the church a lot of, a lot of parts of the church and guess what we live with the consequences individualistic consumerism how about that now this is kind of an interesting one because we were all i was born in perth um i was born into a consumeristic culture i know nothing else okay I know nothing else. If you were born in a Western culture, you would be the same. We were born into a consumeristic culture. It's, part, it's like, like I said, it's like fish swimming in water. We don't even recognize. We don't even realize it. We've literally been born into this culture, yet the church of Jesus Christ, we are supposed to live, function, and operate and embody something contrastingly different. And it is my hope, it's my prayer, it's my desire that we as New Spring Church, we will determine in our hearts to swim upstream and to be light and to be salt in this world. And as I said earlier, last year we spent quite a bit of time behind the scenes trying to articulate and trying to clarify what that means. And we constructed um, our purpose statement. It articulates accurately and succinctly what we've been saying for years i hope that as you watch that video you'd see those words you see those lines and say you know what we've been talking about that for a long time now we've just put it together this is who we are we are new spring church we are image bearers of god that reflect his love we pursue god's heart with our whole life through his word prayer and building community we see god's heart and dare to see places of despair as opportunities where God's kingdom breaks in and breaks forth, so people discover what it is to be truly human. We declare it is only in relationship with Christ that we can truly know who we are and acknowledge we are all on different stages of their journey. We work to discover the truth of God's word, believing it addresses every issue of the human heart. We are united with a desire to serve God. Older generations guided them. Any older generations here? right? You're very quiet. You're putting your hand up. Any older generations here? Well, guess what? We need you. We need your wisdom. Older generations guide with wisdom. Younger generations, any younger generations here? Well, guess what? We need you as well. Younger generations inspire with their strength, okay? You see how those two work together? That is beautiful. I mean, that is beautiful. Families shine with respect and adoration for each other. Could you imagine families shining with adoration and respect for each other? Our fellowship lingers outside the walls of church services and builds strong relationships and communities that support and celebrate together. This is New Spring Church. Are you part of the New Spring family? Well, don't answer that right now because your yes on your no let me just be upfront let me be blunt your yes or your no will be de- determined on the extent that you embody that talk is cheap man you need to walk it out you know what i'm saying you saying dave that's pretty blunt in march we're going through sermon on the mount if you want to hear blunt go have a chat with jesus <laughs> It is pretty blunt, but, but that, that is what it is. Like this year, the extent to which we embody this, that's going to be our answer. Am I part of this family or I'm not part of this family? And today, I want to, I want to focus on the most important word in this statement. And you will notice that this word appears nine times. You all know what the word is? The word is we. Oui. We. Oui. Turn to your neighbor and say we. Oui. We. Oui. If you're French, you can go we, we. We. Or if you've got parents who, (laughs) oh my gosh, what a shame this is going online, people are going to be thinking, who is this dude? Well, since the 1960s, there's been this, um, was the beginning of the church growth movement, and... um, If you study church growth or church history, you'll know the 1960s was a significant moment and church growth kind of became a big thing. And what happened along the way is that the church started to look at strategies and things from the world and so we can actually incorporate that to actually build our congregations and build our buildings and things like that. A big thing that we actually um, as a church looked at is marketing. And um, as marketing evolved over the ages, so did our implementation of using marketing as the church. So, what happened is when it began, uh, marketing and advertisement used to initially be about trying to sell a really good product. That makes sense, right? You know, if you've got a great product, let's let people know we've got a great product and let's sell a great product. Now, after a while, that actually shifted a little bit. So, instead of marketers actually trying to sell a great product, they actually shifted, they pivoted, and they actually endeavored to sell a great experience. Or a great lifestyle. Even now, if you look out into um, adverts, I mean, look at Coke. I mean, seriously, I think to myself, if I went back like, 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 like thousands of years and I had a bottle of Coke and I handed that to someone, this black liquid which is fizzing and there's gas and all coming out of it, do they honestly think that that would be safe to drink, right? No. But if you even look at Coke right now, we understand there's so much sugar and stuff in it, but, but if you look at the ads, they're actually selling an experience, aren't they? Look at car ads. They're not selling the car, they're selling a lifestyle, right? You know, if I buy this car, I can be like 25 again, you know what? I can actually go surfing. I've never surfed in my life. But obviously, if I buy this car, then I can do that. They're selling a lifestyle. But then this actually shifted again with this idea of branding which came in. And what happened with branding is that branding has now taken on a personality. It's got this embodied persona, so if you look at a brand, it's almost like a personality. And what we do is that we, we vicariously take on that personality by wearing the brand. So you might um, wear Nikes or you might be an Apple guy who's an Apple guy. I used to be a Samsung guy, right? And I noticed even this year I needed to get a new phone, okay? I needed to get a new phone. Um, and um, I, I've been getting Samsungs. I can't afford a Samsung. No way. So, so I had to go get the cheapest phone like, like, which I could afford. And like even now, I'm kind of thinking like, I'm not a Samsung guy anymore. I can't embody that personality. And seriously, there's something that is happening inside of me and I think it's good. But, but, but that's what's happened with branding because we wear the brand and we vicariously take on the personality. Now think about churches, the branding of churches. And I'm sure in our minds, we're thinking of churches right now. And unfortunately, one of those names could very well be New Spring Church, because there is a brand. And if we're not careful, we start wearing a brand because we vicariously want to take on a personality. But this has been the evolution of marketing, and the church has actually taken on a whole lot of that stuff. Unfortunately, a byproduct of this, which every pastor I talk to acknowledges and recognises, In fact, I was um, um, just accidentally um, bumped into a, a pastor of a significant church a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about this exact same thing. All of us acknowledge that an essential trait of the church has almost been completely eradicated because of what has happened with all of this. And we seem to be in this slipstream that no one seems to be able to get out of. And what has happened is that this thing that's been eradicated is that the church is supposed to be a we, The church is not supposed to be the church of me. But this individualistic consumerism has entered into the church. It's infiltrated the church. And all of a sudden, I come to church because of what I can get. It's because of our kids' ministry. It's because of the experience I get. And and sometimes we even look at the brand of the church, and the brand has a personality. If I have that brand and I stick it on me, that means I'm that kind of Christian. And that has happened. Does that make sense? That's what's happened Along the way. And some of our Christian tradition has actually helped promote this individual Christian mindset by not engaging equally with the different atonement metaphors described in Scripture, okay? Equally, equally. For example, one really important metaphor is the courtroom forensic metaphor um, that Paul elaborates on, especially like in Romans. And, and this metaphor lets me know that Jesus died for my sin. Aren't you glad that he died for your sin? Right? I'm so glad that Jesus died for my sins. Romans 5 5 verse 1 says this, therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That word justified, it's a legal word. It's a legal word like the word sentenced or Condemned justified it's a declaration of something that is true okay just like condemned or or likewise is a declaration of something that is true so when we read in scripture jesus died for my sin and i am justified that is a declaration of something that is true that's great to know isn't it you know but 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 it would be completely incomplete for us as the church of Jesus Christ to believe that you and I are saved and we are forgiven and that's it. That's not untrue. It's just incomplete. Now, if you take your mind to that courtroom setting again, and if you're in it, like, imagine you're in a court, right, and there's a courtroom setting and you see the word court. Imagine there's another word in front of that word court. It says family, family court. And we're going through exactly the same process, But instead of the judge actually saying, you are now justified, or you are declared righteous, your sins are forgiven, what happens at exactly, precisely the same moment as you are justified, you are also adopted into a family. Last year, we learnt over and over again that the letter to Ephesians, there is another atonement metaphor, and that is adoption. So what happens at exactly the same moment that you and I are declared righteous, we are also declared part of this family. And when we are part of this family, being part of the family comes with responsibilities, comes with privileges, and you know what? We are supposed to embody what it means to be part of this family. Does that make sense? See, we haven't necessarily got a tradition where we have equally looked at the atonement metaphors. But if we actually look at them and we actually bring them together, we have to have in our mindset, wait a minute, yes, I am justified. I am forgiven, praise God. But at the same moment, I'm now part of the family of God. And if I ever have in my mindset that I am not part of the we, it's just part of the me, I have to question your understanding of who you are, who God is, and what this is all about. Okay? So this year, New Spring, How about we erase some of those question marks? How about we erase some of those question marks and embody who we are called to be, the church? And as you read through Scripture, you will actually discover that this paradigm that I'm talking about is kind of assumed in Scripture, even if it isn't necessarily embodied by the Western church. Our key scripture for today is found in Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to read from verses 19 to 25. So if you have your Bibles, how about you grab that? Um, If it's on your phone, that's fine. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 to 25. And I just want to go through this to actually show you how the church is supposed to be. um, And also just really underlying this significant word in our purpose statement, that word we. That word we. Verse 19 reads like this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over that house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. There are two significant words that are placed side by side and they are repeated three times in this passage of Scripture. They're repeated uh, from verse 22, verse 23, and verse 24. Those two words are, let us. Let us. In fact, as you go through the New Testament, every time that you find you, it's more like a y'all. You know, it's unfortunate we don't live, well, I'm glad we live in Australia, but if we spoke a bit American, we'd go, y'all, y'all. And what what the author of the book of Hebrews is actually saying is that in light of what Jesus has done in each of our lives individually, let us collectively, as a church, do these three things. Do you see how that works? Individually, yes, my sin is forgiven, but collectively, that is outworked. That is outworked. And these three things describe how God has designed the church to help every single person flourish. But human flourishing is a we word. It is not a me word, okay? It is a we word. Listen to this sentence from our purpose statement. We see God's heart and dare to see places of despair as opportunities where God's kingdom breaks in and breaks forth so people discover what it is to be truly human. If you're familiar with Jim Collins' um, leadership work, um, he has this principle called the hedgehog. Principle. And basically, that is what is the one thing that you do? Could you identify the one thing? Now, not all organizations have just one thing that wouldn't make sense. But there are places when there is just one thing. And as far as New Spring Church is concerned, we actually do have one thing. It is one thing. Everything that we do feeds into this one thing. And the one thing is this. We want people to discover what it means, what it feels like, and to experience what it is to be truly human. That is the one thing. Everything that we do feeds into that. To help people discover that. This is what the world is seeking for. This is what the world articulates when they say, I felt so alive or I feel numb. This is what the world is asking right now. What does it mean to be truly human? Why are some people groups treated more humanly than other people groups? This is not fair. This is not equal. Like, what is going on here? The world is asking, what does it mean to be truly human? And our hedgehog is to help people discover that. But to be truly human, to flourish as a human, never happens, it never occurs with a mindset of individuality. This is not a me concept. This is a we concept. And it is only possible in the context of let us or what I've been talking about, this we. So there are three things that the author talks about. First thing is this. We help each other flourish in faith. Flourish in faith. Verse 22. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. And with a full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us draw near to God. Let us draw near to God. Do you know what the church, this is so important for us to understand, that we help each other draw near to God. Let us draw near to God. Do you feel distance from God? Was 2020 one of those years where it seemed like there was a fracture between your relationship with God? Are there times when you feel so separated from God? Are there times when you feel like, you know what, I know I'm supposed to be a Christian, but seriously, I ain't feeling it right now. Well, then let us draw near together. Let us. See, what happens, we come to that place and then we start distancing ourselves from church. When you're supposed to actually draw near together as a church, right? But this individual mindset comes in and says, I can do this by myself. No, you can't because the church is not created this way. This is one of the things that we do together so that we can collectively and individually flourish. Flourishing is a we word. Flourishing is not a me word. Do you have friends in your life that are helping you flourish? Because this is a thing, right? you get to determine who your friends are, right? The amount of times I see people and they got these friends and there's nothing wrong with having all sorts of friends, but significant friends and you watch the trajectory of their life, you watch the journey of their life and they were here a couple of years ago, 2021, they're all the way over there and you wonder, how did that happen? Because you haven't been with the church, let us draw near to God. Next week, we're going to introduce some simple tools and um, Chelsea's going to speak into that, which is going to help us be more intentional about it. Um, It's important to be intentional. Even I need to be intentional. I really need to be intentional because I can get sidetracked so often. I think it's so human for us to get sidetracked. But the very first thing that this author says is that we help each other flourish in faith. Would you like to flourish in faith this year? Well, you need to be the we. You can't have a mindset of me. And let me tell you what will happen this year. We are going to keep on going. So you have a choice in February to be part of the way. We because we're going to be following Jesus. You know, one thing I'm so excited about this year is that there are things that Jesus is going to teach us that we've never learned before. There are journeys that we're going to take this year that we've never taken before. And if you're part of the we, come on, let's do it. Amen? Second thing, we help each other hold on to hope. Verse 23, let us, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Hope's a really slippery topic, isn't it? Let's be honest. Because most of us have no understanding what true biblical hope really is. You know, I hope to win lotto. Might help if you buy a ticket. You know, <laughs> um, I always say that I'd love to win lotto. Dave, why don't you buy? No, haven't bought a ticket. I hope this. I hope that. Hope's really slippery as Christians because a lot of times we don't take the time to investigate what true biblical hope is. What has God promised for the end? Ephesians one verse. Um, nine let me just read this to you god has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding christ which is to fulfill his good his own good plan and this is the plan listen this is the plan at the right time he will bring everything together under the authority of christ everything in heaven and on earth he is bringing everything together under the authority of christ everything in heaven and earth and again that's like a sentence it doesn't mean too much A couple of years ago, we were going through Mark. And do you remember Mark chapter 1? There's this little story where um, Jesus steps into a synagogue. And what happens is that in the synagogue, there was this guy who belonged to this community. And he'd been tormented by these demons. Um, But no one knew about it. No one knew about it. And what happens in the synagogue is that when you go into a synagogue, you actually come under the authority of Torah. So imagine this guy, he's in this synagogue, he's in this community, they're all doing life together, and he's already sitting under the authority of something. But nothing's changing, this guy is tormented, this guy is being harassed, this this guy is completely chained up, he's not living a flourishing life at all, but no one knows about it. And this keeps on going tired, day after day, month after month, year after year, possibly decade after decade, until a higher authority steps into the room. Right? And the story shows us as a higher authority steps into the room, suddenly things start to shake, things start to move, and this guy who's been tormented for God knows how long, he is liberated, he is released, he's returned to his right mind, and he continues and starts this journey of human flourishing. That's an incredible story, right? To actually come under the authority of Jesus Christ. How amazing for that individual to come under another authority and be completely liberated. That's pretty cool, right? Yeah. Well, I wonder what would happen when everything in heaven and everything on earth comes under that authority. That's what we're talking about. That is biblical hope. That at the end of a thing, everything comes under Jesus. And everything that is not right becomes right. The processes of dehumanisation are eradicated, and human flourishing—the fle- the flourishing of creation, the cosmos—happens. That's the hope. That's a, that, that, that. That is that is the hope, and we need to understand true biblical hope because we, the, because the way we see the end, shapes the way we behave in the middle. We've said that many times last year. Biblical hope is so important because the way you see the end shapes how you behave. In the middle, and a lot of times you have like these these achy, flaky Christians, and we're doing all sorts of silly things. And I'll put my hand up as well. I do dumb things all the time as well. And we can look at a person, we can look at behavior, we can look at mindsets, and say, what is going on with that person? And we need to identify the issue right now is because they do not have a clear understanding of the end, and because they don't have a clear understanding of the end, they are just stuffing up in the middle. The way we see the end shapes the way we behave. In the middle. You need true biblical hope. True biblical hope. Many decades ago, Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones wrote this um, as the need for this type of witness that was needed in the world. And he wrote this decades ago. He said this: if ever the world needed the witness and testimony of Christian people, it is at this present time. He said this decades ago. Think, just listen to this. The world is unhappy. It is distracted and it is frightened and what it needs is to see stars shining out of their heavens in the midst of the darkness, attracting the world by rebuking that darkness and by giving it light, showing how it too can live that quality of life. It was true back then and it's true right now. The way that we are to live our life is supposed to be a rebuke to the darkness. You have these principalities and these powers and they are trying to trap and dehumanize humanity and creation and we are supposed to be living as true humanity, a complete mockery to their agenda because they can't touch us. Colossians 2 verse 15 says that in the cross, those principalities and those powers have been disarmed. They can't touch us unless you let them. And if you've given any of your authority over to them, take it back. 2021, take it back. Take it back. Make your stand. Live a life worthy of the call because you've been called by God. You are the church of Jesus Christ. You see, when it comes to this facet of hope, we cannot hold hope all by ourselves. Let us hold unswervingly to this hope. How's your 2020 look? Has that grip on hope kind of slipped a bit? I'm not dumb. I see everyone in our church. I see your lives. I love you. But let me tell you, there's people in the life of our church, and last year, some hope has slipped. And it slipped because there's been a detachment from the let us. I can see the years leading up to 2020 and what's happened in 2020, and there hasn't been a progress of life. There hasn't been a flourishing of life. There's been a deterioration. And that's okay, because last year was a crazy year. And that's okay because you're still part of the body of Christ. Jesus loves you, we love you. But this year, how about we collectively have the mindset, no, let us hold unswervingly to this hope. And as we hold on to this hope, our behavior will be shaped in the middle accordingly. Amen? Amen, amen. Last thing that um, the author articulates, he says, we help each other grow in love and good works. Verse 24, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching, we help each other love people better. How about that? I am literally a more loving person because I am part of your lives. Thank you you are making me a more loving person. Is that not true though? You know, when we do this together, it's a let us moment. Let let us spur each other on to love each other better, to do good deeds in this world. We stir each other on. We are more loving people and we do more loving works together because we are people who are called the church. I mean, like seriously, I'd love to be a more loving husband this year. Any other husbands want to be a more loving husband? Would you like to just like treat your, your, love your wife better? Put your wife on a higher pedestal? Husbands, husbands, prefer your wife? Would you like to do that? Okay, if you don't want to do that, you're commanded to do that. And the way to do that is by hanging out with other husbands who are doing the same. Come on, fellas. Come on. Our job as husbands and fathers is to love. I want to make sure that the Ryder household feels safe and secure so Andrea can flourish, so she can dream, so that Kayla and Jackson can flourish, so they can dream. I want my life to be completely poured out. I want to pour my life out so they flourish. The Christian life is supposed to be a cruciformed life. It is a life where we intentionally pour ourselves out and we are living in a world that wants to fill ourselves up. But we're supposed to pour ourselves out. Sorry, I really stepped on some people's toes. Wives, you want to be a better wife? Hang out with some godly godly women. You know? And when you get together, have good godly conversation. You know what I'm saying? Better parent... We'd like to, to flourish more as a single or a saviour, a saviour, no, a senior, saviour, they are saviours. But, but you know what, to actually like live in the season that God's given us, hang out with other people because we love better when we're together and we do more good deeds because we're spurring each other on when we do that. Our fellowship, our purpose statement says this, our fellowship lingers outside the walls of church services. Does your fellowship linger outside of church services? We can do something about that. You know? Wait a minute, Dave, you need to organize something. Wait, no, 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 wait, wait. I am I'm I'm one man who's called the senior pastor. Right? No, no, no. We are the church. We are the church. Our fellowship lingers outside the walls of the church services and build strong relationships and communities that support and celebrate each other. They're three pretty cool things, aren't they? But understand they come from a we mindset, not a me mindset. And those three things are the way that God has crafted the church to enable flourishing to happen. To happen. As I said before, twenty twenty was an interesting year for me. I um I gotta be honest, I really um I some of you who are close enough to me will probably realize this i, I did struggle in 2020 <laughs> i found it pretty hard last sunday um we were um doing a, a baptism and um you know, as there trevor's there chelsea's there and and some others were there and the announcement came out about the lockdown and um i just remember looking at chelsea and i just had that same feeling of dread From March last year, just gripped me on Sunday. I was like, oh, I talked to Andrea and she said, um, she just said, babe, you've just been traumatized by 2020. Um, 2020 was a hard year for me. And I'm assuming it was a hard year for a lot of people as well. Um, Coming out of our lockdown and and leading into the rest of 2020 last year, um, we discovered that there was a whole lot um, of pastoral stuff that came out. The pastoral load skyrocketed um, in the life of our church um, as we came out of it and as the pastoral load of new spring skyrocketed i noticed that church engagement deteriorated it really did last year there are moments when like you're trying to do stuff you're looking around it's like where is everyone <laughs> where'd everyone go um i know that um as um he always works really hard, but I just really wanted Aaron to have all the of January off to rest up because last year was a t- pretty hard year. Um, I noticed that there were people missing in action last year. And so I, I initially noticed that, but then I, I wanted to take a little bit of a deeper look. And um, I noticed that there, as I looked into the lives of some of the people in our church, that there had been some things of their faith that had actually deteriorated last year there have been some steps backwards instead of some steps forward. And again, like, I am just keeping in mind 2020 was a hard year. I'm letting you know up front 2020 was a really hard year for me. Um, And I, I completely get that. But just from a casual observation, those were just some key things. And a question which I'd probably ask every person in the life of our church is, what would your observation of 2020 be? Was it a year of church engagement or was it a year of church disengagement? Was it a year of... We, or was it more of a year of me? And I think an honest answer to that, I already know the answer. I already, I already do. And um, I'm not saying this because we want to build this great, big, huge, kind of massive thing. No, no, no. My, my, my whole heart is for flourishing. That's it, you know. I've been part of the big. I'm not enamored by it anymore, all right? But the heart is actually to see people flourish, to see marriages flourish. See, husbands and wives actually love each other, actually love each other. To see children raised in homes that are safe and secure and see relationships that are strong. So was 2020 a year of me or was it a year of we? Because our identity as the church is not just that we are forgiven, but we are forgiven and simultaneously adopted into the family of God. And we are part of the family of God so that we can flourish, so that we can discover what it means to be truly human, so we can demonstrate this new community, this contrasting community out into the world as this new humanity in order to demonstrate not just to the world, but also make a mockery of the principalities and powers who are trying to dehumanize humanity. We live as true humanity in the midst of that world. We need to embody this as the church. As Paul says, I urge you, I beg you, to lead a life worthy of your call, for you have been called by God. Many years ago, I heard a story of a, um, of a church pastor and a uh, member. And it was a member of a certain church who'd previously been attending services regularly, but stopped going. And after a few weeks, the preacher decided to visit him. Um, The story goes, it was a chilly evening. The pastor found found the man at home all alone, sitting before a blazing fire. Guessing the reason for his pastor's visit, the man welcomed him in, led him to a comfortable chair near the fireplace and just waited. The preacher made himself at home but said nothing. In the grave silence, he contemplated the dance of the flames around the burning logs. After some minutes, the preacher took the fire tongs, carefully picked up a brightly burning ember, and placed it to one side of the hearth, all alone. Then he sat back in his chair, still silent. He hadn't said a word. The host watched all of this in quiet contemplation. As that one lone ember's flame flickered and diminished, there was a momentary glow, and then its fire was no more. Soon it was cold and dead. Not a word had been spoken since the initial greeting. The preacher glanced at his watch and realized it was time to leave. He slowly stood up, picked up the cold, dead ember, and placed it back in the middle of the fire. Immediately, it began to glow once more with the light and warmth of the burning coals around it. As the preacher reached the door to leave, his host said in an emotional tone, Thank you so much for your visit, and especially for the fiery sermon. I'll be back in church next Sunday. We are New Spring Church. We are image bearers of God that reflect His love. We pursue God's heart with our whole life through His word, prayer, and building community. We see God's heart and dare to see places of despair as opportunities, where God's kingdom breaks in and breaks forth so people discover what it is to be truly human. We declare it is only in relationship with Christ that we can truly know who we are and acknowledge that we are all on different stages of that journey. We work to discover the truth of God's word, believing it addresses every issue of the human heart. We are united with a desire to serve God. Older generations guide with wisdom, younger generations inspired with their strength. Families shine with respect and adoration for each other. Our fellowship lingers outside the walls of church services and builds strong relationships and communities that support and celebrate together. This is what it means to be part of the New Spring family. We are New Spring Church.